the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. There are certain names in the Christian world that like, like in the basketball world, when people say LeBron or Michael, we know who people are talking about when they say Kobe, uh, whatever else it might be. Ironically, there are people in the Christian world and evangelical world, when you say their name, uh, it tends to like people go, oh, I know exactly uh, who that is. One of those is Beth. Beth Moore, ah, right? yeah, you don't even have to say more. We all know you're talking about Mama Beth, Beth Moore. That's right. right. I love it. Right. Beth Moore, she tweets and tweets and tweets. And Aubrey, she has begun using Twitter, I would say, uh, in a fun way, but also a prophetic way. Absolutely, and, she has. And as is often the case with people who speak prophetically, uh, it has also become a lightning rod Twitter account where yep. people – uh, they they praise what she says. They call what she says heretical. It's there's usually very little in between. And, and for that reason, I have high respect for Beth Moore because she uh, she puts it out there. Right. She says absolutely this is what the church needs to hear. And um, and so for that reason, I like to sometimes just read what she tweeted and go, what do you think? Is she right? What is she saying here? And I want to do that with something Beth Moore tweeted just a couple days ago, uh, September the 16th. She tweeted this at 7.04 in the morning. Like who has the ability to tweet these kinds of- uh, Profound things that early, right? this early. So what did she say? uh, She talked about the fact that she has a group of people memorizing Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18 right now. Wow, that's cool. Uh, And so kind of reflecting upon that, uh, she says this, I grow increasingly concerned that we have a massive population of people who have placed their faith in Christianity rather than Christ and an odd concoction of Christianity at that faith in Christianity is utterly bereft of power to save a single soul Jesus saves. Mm. All right. There is so much there, Aubrey. But let's start with the obvious here. Many people hear that or read that and go, why would you differentiate between Christ and Christianity? Isn't Christianity just a reflection of Christ? Mm. It feels odd that she's she's kind of separating the two. So when you read that specifically around that point, of people have put their faith in Christianity and not in Christ. How do you wrestle with that? You know, it, it, I don't know if this is what Beth had in mind, but certainly in American Christianity right now, this reminds me of that article we discussed. I think it was last week, Brian, about the political evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Like there does seem to be a growing group of at least uh, Christians on social media who are really putting their faith in a system or even in a political party that they're deeming as Christianity. And, um, 
or that Christianity has to look and sound and feel a certain way. But it feels like what Beth is calling us back to is not the system, mm. but to the person of Jesus. And I, you know, I, there's a lot of ways I think we could really unpack this, but anytime we put our faith in Christianity or put our faith in, um, I guess any type of ism, mm. that's going to fail us. Right. Mm, that's the good. point is that we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And of yeah. course, as Christians, we practice Christianity, but Christianity is not what we worship. It's Jesus Christ on the throne, Jesus Christ, our savior alone that we worship. Yeah. So let's walk into this a little bit. Yeah. Where might those be at odds with each other? Mm. Where, where currently do we go? Gosh, I need to put my faith in Christ here apart mm -hmm. from kind of that cultural Christianity you're speaking of. Yeah, I'm even thinking of, I mean, you know, we're going to talk about the future of the church later today, but I'm even thinking of things like if you put your faith in, I'm at church every Sunday, therefore mm -hmm. I'm saved. I mean, that's a very basic version of that. I think uh, if you put your faith in, hey, all Christians vote for one political party, mm -hmm. how dare they vote for the other political party? And look, there's people on both sides of political parties saying that. So uh, uh, that is another example of that. I think um, a concept that like all Christians believe X, Y, and Z, no matter what. Um, and then I, I think what ends up happening is we put our faith and our hope and our salvation in ourselves. And I was just reading Romans this morning, because I'm leading a Romans Bible study for women on the weekends and thinking about the fact that really none of us, we're all guilty, right? Like none of us have the power to save ourselves. No good work, no religion, no law has the power to save us. Ultimately, we're all condemned uh, outside of mm -hmm. Jesus Christ who made himself condemned on our behalf so that we can be saved. And I, I almost feel like it's that same Romans argument that we could so easily feel like we're better than other people as Christians or as churchgoers, it's us against the world. But the reality is we are not different apart from Jesus. Like it's Jesus alone that makes us righteous, not a system or a, a tribe that we're a part of. That's good. Yesterday I went to the doctor. I just uh, had to go get something done real fast. And they were checking me in, <clears throat> filling out the paperwork. And it was really odd. The lady asked me behind us, she goes, do you want to declare a religion? Hmm. And I was At the like, doctor. Wow. Wasn't that strange? Wasn't that strange? Yeah. And I was like, I was actually kind of, I fumbled with my words. I was yeah. kind of like this. And then I just said, I'm, I'm a Christian. Yeah. And it got me thinking like, Hmm. That that kind of encapsulates this, like like for for her and for what that conversation. It was just a box to check, right? Wow, like, yeah. I'm I'm a Christian. I'm a Muslim. I'm an atheist. I'm a whatever. Versus what Beth Moore's saying here is like to to worship and put our faith in Jesus actually challenges everything in our life mm, and, that's good, and Brian. touches on, not just touches on it. He's the Lord over everything in our lives versus, Hey, I could check this box and I've put my faith in Christ. And like you said, with that comes some expectations of yeah. things I do do things. I don't do things. I vote about things. I believe things I do, but they don't always line up with each other. And so I think this is a challenge. Beth Moore saying, have I put my faith, like you said, in the ism, the, uh, the movement, nah, not really the movement, just the idea of Christianity right. or am I following Jesus? I, I thought that was healthy to wrestle with and I'd love everybody to wrestle with that 
uh, as we think about our own lives. Well, coming up next, we're thrilled to be joined by Lisa Harper, speaker and author of Life, the 100-Day Devotional. We're excited to be joined by Lisa next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. And Aubrey, we are thrilled to be joined by speaker and author Lisa Harper. Lisa is the author of many books, including Life, a 100-Day Devotional. Lisa, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us today. Oh, I'm doing great. Y'all's reputation precedes you. Chris Kane has told me y'all are a blast. So I'm excited to meet y'all. Well, that is, uh, that is high praise high that praise. we will take. That's we right. will take. And, uh, Lisa, before we dive into all the things we want to talk to you about, why don't you just introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better? Sure. I am, um, oh, I'm a windbag. I like to write. <laughs> I, <laughs> Mexican food is my favorite and mm. my claim to fame is, I was thick as a brick, and I don't mean that in the Commodore's kind of way. I was <laughs> not very not very wise in my 20s and 30s and um, was really attracted to abusive men. Mm. And God protected me from the guys I was attracted to. And then the few good good guys I dated, um, people like Aubrey married them, and, um, <laughs> or God protected them from me because I was hot mess on a stick. And mm. I, bottom line is, Brian, I didn't think I'd ever get to be a mom. And mm. our God is so good. He's so kind mm. um, that he redeemed decades that I had served up to Locust on silver platters. And yeah. when I turned 50, I got to become a mom through the miracle of adoption. And that mm. is my claim to fame. My little girl, Missy, is um, Jesus is my hope. But mm. Missy is a tangible reminder of the goodness of God every day. Mm. Amen. Oh, just love hearing you say that, Lisa, right from the jump. That's so powerful. I, I've heard you talk a little bit about the adoption story, and I know we don't have a ton of time. We want to talk about your books and other things, but would you just talk to us a little bit about how the Lord led you and Missy towards one another? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I didn't think I could adopt. Uh, I wasn't even sure theologically if I was allowed to. I know that mm. sounds stiff, but um, but I, I just so didn't want to do anything that would dishonor the Lord. And I thought, gosh, I've been so dumb and and I, I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. You know, kids, you know, it'd be best for them to have a mom and a dad. And and I went to a, a conference and heard a girl speaking on adoption. I, she kind of lured me into her breakout session. I thought it was going to be on missions. And then she was this teeny, teeny little blonde girl, you know, just one of those darling gluten-free girls, but she was so bossy. Um, she's become a dear friend to this day. But anyway, she talked about this verse in uh, in the New Testament that most people are familiar with. It basically says that if you, if you love God, then you'll take care of the poor and the powerless. Yeah. And in most translations, it says widows and orphans. And then she said there were about 150 million orphans in the world as we know it today, um, all around first world countries, second, third world countries. And she said there are so many in third world countries who will die before uh, they even get out of infancy because of very preventable things like having access to clean water. Mm. And and something just just pricked my heart when she said that. And a friend and I had done a Bible study on the theme of adoption 
when we were in high school, we started this club called Fellowship of Christian Athletes, really just to meet football players. But <laughs> God, God wooed us to himself through that. And, and we had made a, a pact when we were 17 years old that both of us would adopt when we got older because we'd studied mm-hmm. this theme in the Bible and how cool it was that God uses that all the time to talk about how he adopts us into his family. But of course, I had you know, just so many things that happened by the time I went from 17 to 40, I thought, oh, I've just sabotaged that. Hmm. Um, But he brought it back around at 40 and I started praying about it. And then I had a girl from church tell me that I had had, um, given up the right to be a mom because there was so much abuse in my backstory. She said, I know you've been doing a lot of counseling, but you might unwittingly uh, transfer some of the trauma you experienced on the child as a child onto a child of your own. And she, she encouraged me. I'll never forget it, Aubrey. She said, I know you want to nurture. Um, and of course she kind of wrapped all this in the Bible. It's mm. interesting how even Christians can sometimes use the Bible as a club mm. and it was never intended to be used like mm. that. Wow. But she encouraged me to go to the Nashville Humane Society and adopt a dog. Cause she mm. said, you're really good with pets and that'll be something you can nurture. Oh, holy and I did as a 40 year old, I, mm. I printed out the adoption application and then just secretly filed it in the back of this drawer and drove mm. to the Nashville Humane Society because I thought that was, that was all I could do. Um, mm. And it was seven more years before I was brave enough, before I actually had the faith to go, okay, Lord, you keep you keep bringing this back to me. Yeah. And surely for a kid whose really only possibility is death or to spend the rest of their life in a, in a third world orphanage, um, to never have a family to love them, even if it's a chunky single woman in Nashville, Tennessee, surely I would be the better option there. <laughs> mm. And so I just, I, I talked to an adoption counselor and said, if there's a kid who doesn't look like they have much shot at a, at adoption or, or at a family, you know, I'd love for y'all to prayerfully consider me. And I lost two adoptions, one at the 11th hour that mm. just, man, I felt like my heart had been run over. I wasn't sure I could ever peel it back up off the pavement, but mm. Um, I believe now, you know, our God is so kind. I'm 58 years old. I've been walking with Jesus for 53 years. I'm I'm more in love with him now than I ever was before. He's so kind, Mm -hmm. such a redeemer. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not sure my heart would have been brave enough had he not allowed me to experience grief and lean to him in the dark that I would have stepped into Missy's story because it was, um, she was really sick. Her first mama passed away mm. from AIDS and, um, and they told me she probably wouldn't live long enough to make it through the adoption process. And I'll cut to the chase and just tell you, she's 12 years old, mm. healthy as a horse. Amen. She is an extraordinary child. So Amen. yeah, adoption for me has just been a magnifying glass. Over the wow. Gospel. Wow. What an inspirational story, Lisa, I guess, uh, let me ask the question this way. Uh, somebody's listening right now and they're like, I just feel that same desire. I, I long, mm. but I'm scared. What would you say to that person yeah. who's in their car right now wondering maybe is adoption for me? Yeah. You know, I'd say with anything, adoption, missions, you know, trying out for the worship team, take the next right step. Um, I think we we tend to get stuck because we go, oh, goodness gracious, what is this going to look like in six years or 10 years? Or, And I'm like, you know, be responsible, be prayerful, have a counsel of wisdom in your life, but take the next right step. 
God will clarify uh, what he's called you to, but we've got to step out in faith. I love that story in the Old Testament where, you know, when he first rescues them from that time out in Egypt, Egyptian captivity and he parts the Red Sea, y'all remember he says, all right, you don't have to do anything. Just sit up there in your lazy boys and watch me. Just, <laughs> just watch me. But then after they spend time with him and they get to that second watery barrier before the promised land at the Jordan, he goes, okay, I don't want y'all to just observe the miracle this time. Mm-hmm. You know me. You know how good I am. I want y'all to get your feet wet. You've mm-hmm. got to participate in the miracle. And so I'd say for that person who's going, oh, goodness gracious, could I even do this? You know what? You don't have to answer that whole question yet. Just go, is God calling me to this? If he is, let me take the first right step. And he'll give you the grace and he'll order the rest and, and he'll carry you through. Adoption takes a long time. And so I tell people, hey, if you're at 51%, start the paperwork. He'll purify your heart in the process. It's mm, good. Lisa Harper, again, speaker and author. You can learn more about Lisa at lisaharper.net. Also connect with her on Facebook at official Lisa D. Harper. Uh, Lisa, we're thrilled to have you stay with us. I want to talk to you quickly about your book came out back in February called Life. And then I love this title and obsessively grateful, undone by Jesus, genuinely happy and not faking it through the hard stuff. Kind of a hundred day devotion. That's (laughs) awesome. That just encapsulates it. And (laughs) I really do love that. And it says in the description, do you ever wonder if the gospel is truly good news for your actual everyday, often difficult, sometimes painful and typically crazy real life? (laughs) Well, it is such an important Mm -hmm. concept there, Lisa. I guess Mm -hmm. I want to start with this. Why is it so hard for us to believe that the gospel is actually good news in our everyday lives? Uh, Because we're human. Because we're just so human. And I think we get really distracted by time and space as we know it. And so let's just talk about the last you know, year and a half. I mean, I remember the very beginning of COVID thinking, man, this is going to be like Super Bowl or World Cup for Christians. You know, we're going to be the light of the world and we're going to be catapulting toilet paper into our neighbor's backyards. This is going to be awesome. And then, you know, by June, I was like, I'm never getting out of stretchy pants again. Um, because you just, you know, we, we, we can only see what we see. As Paul says in the New Testament, we see through the glass dimly. Yeah. So even when you've got great theology, we've got to be, there's a pastor, I love all the dead guys, I love theologians, but there's a living (laughs) theologian, a wonderful man named Matt Chandler, who has a Mm -hmm. church in Texas. And I I first heard heard him use this term. He said, because we're human, we need to be re-gospeled. We need to be re-gospeled. We need to be reminded on a consistent basis that there is this miraculous gospel that God graciously wove us into this divine love story, because I think we just get so distracted by life that, you know, I forget sometimes, my goodness, the God who breathed the creation into existence, the God who condescended to be enrobed in flesh so that he could save my hot mess self. Mm-hmm. He's inclining his ear this morning to listen to me. Amen. You know, we just, we, we get distracted by everyday life. And then when life is painful, um, you know, that's usually when we get on our face and our knees and go, God, I can't carry the weight of my own life without you. That's usually what turns us toward the Lord. Um, And I think our hearts and our minds are kind of like colanders and they leak. And that's why it's important for us to listen to 
shows like The Common Good. That's why we need to be in church. And it's not that that makes us any holier. It's that it reminds us of who we are and that this world isn't our true home. So goodness gracious, I say I'm like Cinderella with amnesia, you know, just over and over and over again. I forget the miracle. And that's why that's why I've got my nose in in scripture more than I do in social media. That's why I have Christian music playing in the house all the time. That's why I listen to podcasts like y'all's. And all of scripture, the, the, the biblical narratives, even the biblical imperatives where God says, here's how I want you to live. You know, the huge majority of those are written in the context of community. Yeah. We need each other. I need to listen to y'all to go. That's right. That's right. That's right. Mm. That's who I am. That's how I'm called to live. Oh, so good. Such a good word, Lisa. I'd like to talk to you about um, your Bible study that came out in July, How Much More, Discovering God's Extravagant Love in Unexpected Places. Brian and I are both pastors. We've got some pastors who's listened to the show. And of course, we've got people listening that are always looking for Bible study resources. Can you talk Mm. about what this one is about? Yeah, Aubrey, I know because Chris has told me about your seminary classes. I, 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 I'm finishing up a doctorate at Denver Seminary, and my my subject that I'm studying is finding the redemptive and the hermeneutic of passages that we formerly seen as misogynistic or punitive. Wow. Bottom line is. You know, there's some passages in the Bible that if you don't read it with the proper socio-historical context, you go, oh, man, that one looks like God is really mad. Mm. And we think he's going to fry us in degree spots. And we tend to make the Bible binary and look at the Old Testament and go, oh, that's when God was a you know punitive, unibrowed, angry God. And then we look <laughs> at Jesus in the New Testament and we see him with, you know, being kinder with hair extensions. And of course, that's not. <laughs> (laughs) who God is. He has always been redemptive from the very, very beginning. Even when you look at the true account of Eden, yes, that's original sin. Yes, that's a holy God cannot look at sin. However, where it says in English, God drove them out of the garden. I used to imagine Eve, you know, with a ACDC tube top and Daisy Dukes. And I thought (laughs) she's such a stinker and God's just giving her what she deserves. But if you look at the context, that word drove out comes from a Hebrew word, galrash. It means to herd redemptively. It's used so redemptively in Exodus. It's used redemptively when God rescues David from a certain death. And you go, gosh, even from the beginning, God was herding us toward hope, toward freedom. He's always been in the process of redeeming our inherent dignity. He's not a mean God in the Old Testament and merciful Jesus in the New Testament. And so I thought I'm going to take some of that dissertation work and do my best to put the cookies on the lower shelf because Mm. I so wish when I was younger, it took me a long, long, long time to get the kindness. And I'm not saying I get it. I'm still in kindergarten when it comes to that. (laughs) But to believe that God loved me. I knew he had saved me. Yeah. But I thought, gosh, I'm such a mess. There's so many massive mistakes in my backstory. Mm. There's no way a perfect God like that could actually love a damaged woman like me. So Mm. I'll just keep my head down and do my best to be a good girl to perform for him. Mm. And so I thought I want women like me who thought, gosh, I'm, I'm just not good enough for a God like that to get 
He has always loved us Mm -hmm. and he will always be moving us forward toward the true north of Jesus, toward redemption. So that's kind of the bottom line. That's such a good word. Uh, I keep being surrounded, Aubrey, by all of you people who keep going to grad school. I feel like under (laughs) under (laughs) academic here. I'm like, oh, man. Uh, Lisa, as Aubrey said, uh, you know, we're both pastors and you Mm -hmm. you are interacting with churches across the country, right? You have a heart for the church. And so Mm -hmm. we love to ask people as COVID is kind of still raging and people are leaving the church and reconsidering the church and stuff feels really strange right now. What gives you hope? Are you hopeful? And what gives you hope for the church? Oh, I'm so hopeful, Brian. I I love the church. The bride is my goodness. My whole life is about just carrying the train of the bride when she lets me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love the church. And I think that's the highest calling. I think what y'all do is the, is the hardest calling because your parishioners, people like me, we are a mess and we, <laughs> we need, we need to be shepherded. We need to be taught. I love the church. God loves the church. Hmm. Um, and I think, I think a lot of people, I, I do travel all over the country and I have not met a pastor in the last year who says my church is back to the same numbers. Now, some of them are really being blessed because people are graciously still giving. Um, but they're like, yeah, we were running, you know, 200 before and now we're at 150 or we were running 5,000 before and now we're at 4,000. And over and over again, what I'm hearing from pastors is they're so excited about the new people who are coming to church because certainly mm-hmm. what's gone on in the last year and a half nationally and globally has has stirred up a lot of, of spiritual interest. Um, and so they're like, man, it's, it's so exciting. Like Hat was just in a church on Sunday. Half of the people going to this church uh, had not attended pre-COVID. Um, but they're grieving that there are so many people who now are like, you know what, this is cool. I could sit on my couch and, you know, watch my iPad in my pajamas. And I just, there's, you know, I'm 58. So I, uh, and, I think that I've gotten this mama's voice in the house now where I'm like, hey, I'm just going to say what needs to be said because, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm in stretchy pants and, and I've, I've earned these wrinkles and this gray hair. Um, you're deleting yourself. If you think you can run the race of faith well um, as a privatized lonely, uh, individualized faith. We Mm. need each other. So I know there's some people who have comorbidities. My daughter has an immune issue. Goodness gracious. I don't want to throw shade at anybody Mm -hmm. who has to be super, super careful during this pandemic. So absolutely. But those, those who can appropriately, if you need to wear a mask or social distance, man, still get back into community because otherwise um, it is, it is a really, it's a really difficult uphill climb. If you're trying to run toward Jesus by yourself, Mm -hmm. man, there are so many seasons in my life when I need my friends to carry the corner of my mat and lift me up to the roof and lower me to Jesus because I just can't carry the weight of my own life anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I want to encourage the pastors who listen to y'all, first of all, by saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know you didn't do it for praise or money. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's hard. Um, you are, you are, goodness gracious, what you're doing is so worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just want to encourage people who listen who've gotten used to sitting on the couch instead of getting in their car and going to stand shoulder to shoulder with other other 
messy image bears mm. get back in a community we mm. we need we need to be moving toward jesus in community that's such a helpful word, Lisa. Thank you so much. We're going to have you back on sometime. Yeah. Mo- mostly because uh, off uh, off air, we talked all about funnel cakes. I think people would really enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> as well. We and so, the whole I, series on the sanctification of funnel cakes. All right. There you go. There you I mean, again, Lisa, Lisa Harper is a speaker and author. I'd encourage you to go pick up her uh, new devotional called Life, a 100-Day Devotional. You can find out more about Lisa and her books and everything she's doing at Lisa Harper harper.net all also all over social media lisa this was wonderful thanks so much yeah, for joining thanks, us lisa. today thank you aubrey thank you brian yep you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life hey everybody welcome back to the common good my name is aubrey sampson alongside my co-host brian from and we're so glad that you're with us today as you know, Brian and I are pastors and church planters, and we do we talk a lot about the church. And um, we think it's relevant because even if you're not a pastor or a ministry leader, hopefully as a Christian, you are part of a church, member of a church, part of a body mm-hmm. of believers. There was an interesting article at pathos.com about what is going to happen to the church. So kind of this post-pandemic conversation about the church, which is something we're all wondering about. Before we dive into what this author says, Brian, I want to hear about you. Like, what's the state of your church? Where are you guys at now? I know you're meeting. How are your yep. meetings going? Are you masked, not masked? Like, give us some give us some update about the church. Yeah, and it's... That should give us an update. I, well, I your, got, let's I got talk like, about your church. How's I got like I got like three segments for this, right? No, <laughs> uh, so it, church is still great, but it's also weird. Like I think we all yeah. feel that way. Um, less people than used to be there. There's mm-hmm. um, uh, so <clears throat> we took us we took the route uh, around the mask mandate right now that said. Uh, the staff is going to wear masks. We encourage you to wear masks, but we're not going to police it. I'm not going to kick you out. You know, so yeah. we've kind of gone that route. Yep. Um, and you know, there's people who wear masks, there's people who don't, there's people who aren't coming because of COVID. There are people who aren't coming because, uh, they're just used to not coming. And so it's, it's, I would say it's, it's going well. I love our times on Sunday morning together, but it's certainly different. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just different. What about you guys? I know you're having to be much more militant about it because you rent space. So. Yeah, that, I mean, that has been interesting because we um, use a communal space, a city community center space. We honestly have to honor their guidelines. And of course, because they're a public facility, they're honoring CDC guidelines. And so for us, you're masked. All ages, vaxxed mm-hmm. or unvaccinated, you're masked. Now, like you, Brian, no one is standing at the front door checking are right. people masked or not. Most people have come willingly. They're wearing masks. We do have some signs that say, hey, we're... We're neighbors here or we're, we're guests here. So if you put on your mask, that would be helpful. But no one's kicking anyone out if they're not wearing a mask. And of course, I think the reality is we all recognize we don't want to be wearing masks. Right. But this right. is sort of where we're at right now because our church is where it's at right now. And if someone listening wants to donate a church building, we're not going to uh, turn that down. But I'm with you. I mean, I think in general, our churches uh, feel smaller. Not everyone has returned. There's Mm -hmm. been a great shift, I think, amongst churches, at least in DuPage County, and I think across the country where some people left, went to other churches. People Mm -hmm. are now at our church Mm -hmm. that were at other churches. I think it's really interesting to think about the future of the church. 
And um, Brian, just now I was looking at the Gospel Coalition and Trevin Wax, who was a professor of mine at Wheaton, a guest professor. mm -hmm, He talked about how we can't blame uh, the lowering of church attendance on COVID. But instead, we have to talk about cultural conditions that were in place before the pandemic. I agree with that. And really like how people view or didn't view church. And ultimately, uh, we wanted to talk about another article on Pathios.com, which is basically saying the same thing. How did people view the church before the pandemic? What were churchgoers going to church for? And that what we're seeing right now isn't necessarily a result of the pandemic. So can you unpack that a little bit and we'll have a conversation about it? I think it's a great point. I think uh, the pandemic has been like the gasoline mm. uh, to kind of the accelerant, or it's also been like kind of the window into what was actually going on. So I don't think a lot of churches would be facing what we're facing now if the pandemic hadn't happened. Right. So I think the pandemic in that way has been the cause. But I I think I told you this before. I might have been talking to somebody else. I said, you know, my church, take for instance, like we have the word community in our name and we talk about community all the time and we're a family and deep community and all this. And it has troubled me, just to be honest with you, for uh, for a section of our congregation where that just fell apart at the onset of a pandemic. Hmm. And you're kind of like, okay, then we we weren't doing a good enough job at actually making this part of our DNA. It was easy to talk about or making it. And I think all churches are feeling that. Like we've always yeah. said, we don't want to be spectator sports. We don't want to be right uh, where people are you know, just kind of come in and getting their church and going. Well, once we took church away, that's clearly what a lot of people were doing. Yeah, And once it went away from them, they said, well, why go back? Like it wasn't what we always said the church is supposed to be or we want to. And so I think Trevin Wax is right. Like maybe uh, less time talking about what the church should be and more Mm. time building that in Mm. will allow the churches to sustain themselves through a pandemic. I do think this has been the pandemic has more revealed cracks within the church rather than cause them. I think it accentuated them. It like was the earth. Certainly. That, yeah. yeah. Let's put it that way. I finally found the picture. It was the earthquake yeah. that just cracked open where there were small cracks before. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. That's right. And I think, I think that's what's happened. And so in some ways there's a morning, there's a frustration, there's a, what are we going to do? There's a, uh, you know, pastors feeling tired and weary and discouraged. But for those of us who can get past that, it then becomes an opportunity to go, okay, let's build the church back up now in smaller numbers and different things we have to wrestle with, but let's build it back up. So there is opportunity. I don't like it when people move first to opportunity. Let's all grieve what's happened. Right, absolutely. And then and then go from there. Yeah. One of the things that Trevin also says in his article is that the church has moved um, over the past decade. Honestly, he actually says the past generation has moved from the church being this community solidarity project to a personal identity accessory. Mm. So it's really not... Um, core going to church or being a part of a church is not core of who you are and who a community is anymore. It's just sort of this accessory you sometimes put on. And when that happens, it's easy to let go of that accessory. Mm. And then again, over at Pathios, this uh, article by Clint Shankcloth, I'm sure I'm not saying his last name correctly, but we'll go with it. He talks about what's going to happen to church. For him, he sees the church not so much as... um, kind of moving from that Sunday morning traditional service to more of a church that's meeting in homes or 
meeting in communities or, um, you know, meeting in like smaller groups around the neighborhood. I don't know. I don't know if the Sunday morning service ever totally disappears because it's yeah. such a part of our cultural symbol of what the church is. But I do think there is something to calling people to learn together, grow together, serve the non-members together and remember why the church exists in the first place. And I, I don't know, Brian, we may have to go back to even on Sunday morning. Like I'm just thinking, do we do all pastors need to do a church series that's called what is the church? Right. And, right. you know, and just mm-hmm. remind our people like why church matters. Okay. So Brian, if you weren't a pastor, mm-hmm. would you be going to church? <laughs> you better answer this right. No, just kidding. So I'll, I'm going to answer that in two ways okay. because I don't want to be that pastor. It's like everybody's got to be there all the time. Like, I guess I want to say this. My family would certainly be part of a church that yeah. has been ingrained in me. I believe in it. I believe yeah. in it deeply. On the other hand, and this is where, gosh, people might listen and be like, well, you're part of the problem. I've got kids in youth sports. I've got kids doing things. I understand the the cultural changing dynamic that makes week in and week out church difficult. Yeah. And I think if I weren't a pastor, there's seasons where we would fall susceptible to that. So I would answer it this way. And we're, I know we're running out of time, but you also need to answer the question. Okay. Uh, we would certainly be part of a church. We'd be members of a church. We'd be involved. Our kids would be there. But I would think during certain seasons, you wouldn't see us as much as people, mm. uh, as you would think. And I, I think I'm just trying to be honest there because yeah. I know, I know that if the gospel coalition was listening to me, they'd yell at me right now about youth sports <laughs> and this and that. I think it's a complicating factor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I, I, we would always be a part of a church no matter what. And we would, we would be people very involved in the church. That's just how Kevin and I have always operated in our marriage. Um, that said, I, I wonder if we would take more vacations, you know, if we would be gone more on the weekends. Yeah. I think that's probably accurate. Like we would feel like a little more freedom to be gone on the weekends, but the church, I think we love the local church just like you do. And as messy as she is, we know this is God's plan. Yeah. Uh, to spread his message throughout the world. And so we will always be a part of that by the grace of God, let's hope. Well, next up, I want to share a really cool conversion story that I read about on Christianity Today. Someone who is making music in Hollywood has uh, come to Christ and is now making worship music. That's a really Mm -hmm. cool one you're going to want to hear. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. You conquered death, you make all things new. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I'm Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we were just listening to some music from Kira Fontana, a worship leader and songwriter. And we were listening to her music because there was um, an article that she wrote at Christianity Today about how she went to Hollywood to make her own music. And then this is the subtitle, Now I Make a Joyful Noise Unto the Lord. And I love this story because uh, we'll unpack it in just a minute, but it's her conversion story, how she came to Christ in the middle of Hollywood, which you don't mm-hmm. hear a lot of those stories these days, but then also how the Lord really gave her a sense of calling 
um, in what she was already doing. And I think that's a good word for all Christians or all people who are maybe wondering about what God has invited them to do. So when she talks about how she uh, was at the highest level of the music industry, she worked with major label top 40 artists. She worked on TV shows like The Voice and like Glee. She says clients regularly flew in from around the world to work with her. She was not a Christian at the time, but she said her music always had a strong spiritual bent. That was not popular in LA, she said. Um, but then she said what was interesting is she made music. She showed it to people throughout the city of LA, but the response always left me cold. Mm. Here's what she says. I faced so many disappointments trying to find a place for my music that eventually I stopped singing and writing altogether. The death of the stream was the greatest heartbreak of my life. And the five years that followed were the most creatively barren that I had ever experienced. So then she began to focus on a coaching career. And here's what's interesting. She managed to uh, begin going to an L.A. megachurch for spiritual but not religious seekers. Okay. So I think that's really interesting. And then she says, after almost 20 years of spiritual seeking, I believe I had obtained higher levels of consciousness than most people. Mm. I believe there were many roads to God and my thoughts were awash with love and light and other positive thinking mantras. However, when I looked at my life, I knew something was missing. Despite all of my spiritual knowledge, I repeatedly ended up in failed relationships and struggled to find true purpose. So some of her family members came to Christ and eventually her brother asked her, who do you think Jesus is? Mm. She thought he was, of course, as people say, a spiritual teacher, an enlightened person, etc. But ultimately, she began to read the Bible and see that Jesus was not just this universal universal force of light and love, but ultimately the one who could save her. And so it's powerful to me that she came to Christ in a dark season yeah, and in Hollywood and in really searching for um, identity in what she was doing. Ultimately, she found God in the middle of that, I think, very real longing. But then the incredible thing is that the Lord began to give her back um, her music. Mm. And as a new Christian, she began to pray that God would show her how to use her musical gifts for the sake of his kingdom. And all of a sudden she's writing songs about God and she's leading worship in churches. And now she's just a full-fledged Christian artist. And there's so much about this story that I love. I love that God found her. I love that she thought she knew everything and was so like, quote unquote, woke, but actually she needed to find Jesus to wake her up. Mm. And then I love that she was already really doing what God had created her to do as a musician, but now she's doing it like for his glory and with a new purpose. And he gave Mm. her back this gift that she had thought she lost. Like there's such beauty in this. What, What do you think about that? Story, yeah, and, Brian. And, and the other part of the story I love is the brother asking the same mm. question, right? That that we read in the Bible, who do you say Jesus is? Mm. Like that is essentially the heart uh, of awesome. that all of us need to wrestle with. I, I love the fact that she, uh, like you said, I think people often find Jesus in these darker times. Yeah. But I love, like you said, this idea that God, um, her music didn't need to be discarded. It was Mm. not, okay, now that you're a Christian, now you need to go to seminary and do this and do something completely antithetical to what you have been trained to do and are good at. No, God gifted her musically. Yeah. uh, And that gifting uh, took a certain form pre uh, pre conversion and it took a different form now post conversion. Mm. And so to see, um, 
you know, it's a reminder, Aubrey, that that our wiring and our giftings from God can be used for his kingdom. Yeah. Uh, Not, you know, I'm not in spite of what I do, but, you know, do it to the glory of God. Do it to the best Mm. of your ability, whether you're a singer, a pastor, a plumber, an architect, a a stay-at-home parent, whatever it is. Yeah. uh, That doesn't define you. You know, I feel like I'm discussing the book known here. Uh, (laughs) I've heard of it. But that we're defined by other things. And so that yeah. now that her music is now being used as a tool to reach other people uh, is is awesome. And also, we always talk about Hollywood like it is this barren right, land where right. God is not at work. God's at work everywhere. Yeah. Uh, calling people to himself. And this is another great example of that. Yeah. I, I also think, I mean, it's just interesting all the pieces that God put into place to, to find her, that there's this church in LA, a, a massive church that's for, how did they say it? Spiritual, but not religious seekers. Right. Like even just having a church very intentionally known by that really interesting to see like who in LA would come to Christ because of that. I don't know. I I was really moved by the story and mostly like what you're talking about, Brian, is I, you know, sometimes I think we're, we wonder like, God, what is, what have you called me to do? What am I meant to do? What is my calling? What there's language for that? What is my purpose? What is my, and sometimes we think we can miss God's calling on our lives, Mm -hmm. right? Or we can, um, somehow, I don't know, get it wrong. But I think you really only have to look at your own life. Like this Kira Fontana was already making music. yeah. And of course, that's what God used. Like God doesn't use these mysterious things out of nowhere. He uses the talents he's given you. He uses the burdens on your heart, the things you're passionate about, the things that you and your friends care about, like the things that you think are wrong. God wants to use you to make those things right. You really don't have to uh, do much more unpacking than by looking at your own life to discover what your calling is, because God's not trying to like hide that from you. Right. It's right there in the DNA of who you already are. And that ultimately uh, it isn't even about what you do, right? Mm. It isn't even about what you do. It's, good, it's about Brian. who you are. I think we can get so worked up in like, should I go into this field? Should I go into this field? Should I do this? And you're just like, I know that's how I thought of things coming out of college, but now with a kid or kids who are reaching that age, I want to be like, Hey, it's, that's not the biggest question we have on your life Yeah, is what are you supposed to do? It's really, who are you to be? Who has mm, God made you to be? Good. And that can manifest itself out in a singing career as a teacher, as a pastor, as all sorts of things. There's, yeah. uh, you know what? I, I think all the time we're like, if I don't make the one specific thing God has crafted for me, then I've missed this huge thing. I don't, I'm not sure that's how it works. Yeah. And uh, I think it's it's more about who are we. That's and uh, a great place to learn that would be this new book called Known. Go get that wherever <laughs> books are sold. I've heard of that book. It's a really great book. Mm-hmm. Known, how believing who God says you are changes everything. Okay, Brian, one last thing because it's related to calling. Your former co-host, the great Ian Simpkins, posted something about he calling posted something on social i know shocking <laughs> right shocking that he posted something if you're not following ian sipkins on twitter or instagram he is a prolific poster but he posted something about calling this week and uh brian do you want to unveil it for our listeners oh i don't think i have it in front oh of you me. don't ha- you don't remember no i do not i do not remember everything okay my, my former okay. co-host well, this you is give what, it to us this is what it is god's calling on your life 
is not a butt dial. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is a profound word from Ian. How did I forget that? I don't I know. I'm a little that. shocked. You texted it to me. I so. screenshotted it and sent that to you. So, oh, friends, Ian, we love you. God's calling on your life is not a butt dial. That is the final word from Ian Simpkins. <laughs> Ian, we love you. Well, we hope you're encouraged today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.